Let me sit here. You're you're listening to uh, K Rock in the afternoon. Uh, you know, get a little settled here. But uh, speaking of music, I, I just want to start off right out of the gates with music, since we're got the kind of you know afternoon radio show vibe going on this afternoon. <laughs> what is some of the music that uh, influences you, and what are you currently listening to, or what are you excited about in in the industry? Uh, it's wow. <laughs> it's hard. I think working in a music company uh, is difficult because we love music so much and we're constantly like, listening to it and discovering stuff uh, and all kinds of things. The things that I've been most excited about are the kind of reemergence of indie bands being able to release stuff, sometimes without even a label, and have these digital distribution channels for people to discover their music. Um, and some of the smaller labels like flourishing and finding new audiences because of these platforms. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that has come out this year. Uh, the most notable stuff, there's this band, uh, Viet Cong from Canada, uh, that released an EP that I, that I love. I don't know, Jeff, what have, what have you been listening well, to? Well, <laughs> if, if, you, if you looked at my, um, at my heavy rotation lately, it would it would involve a lot of Elmo's greatest hits and uh, <laughs> Se Sesame Street. I have a two-year-old daughter, and uh, <laughs> we have a lot of dance parties in the kitchen. Um, Elmo dance party, right? Yeah, it's very popular. Yeah, these days. Yeah. yeah. Me left me cookie at the disco. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Um, that's, that's that's a good one. That's a good clubbing song. <laughs> yeah, um, I yeah, which leads us eventually maybe to a, f uh, a feature that we need to work on, which is, uh, you know, play history editing. But, uh, <laughs> um, I, yeah, it's funny, we, we're all music, we're all really passionate about music at RDO, and it's like, it's, uh, you might expect to walk into the office and hear like music blaring, and it's like right. an MTV like uh, set or something, but it's, uh, it's actually pretty quiet and, and subdued and, and thoughtful environment. Uh, I think the, there's a party going on in people's headphones. Um, <laughs> but I think we also, uh, we consume a lot of music. So we have this voracious appetite for music discovery. Um, and, and, you know, we work at the perfect place for that. But it, you know, we, we can talk later about it, but it also sets up a challenge for us because we're atypical music right. listeners. We have, uh, you know, just prodigious appetite for new music. <laughs> And uh, pretty wide-ranging tastes. I mean, for me, I was I was saying earlier, I I kind of came of age uh, in terms of my musical taste in like the '90s, and so I there's like a resurgence of kind of indie bands that have this jangly guitar sound that yeah. that harkens back to like to '90s college rock a little bit. That it's kind of fun to hear come around again. But I also, I mean, I listen to a lot of hip hop, and I tend to like stuff that's like um, a little bit off kilter little darker, weird. Like, like Elmo's Dance Party. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a complicated guy, you know. There's like Elmo's Dance Party and uh, then there's like... Yeah, uh, I preferred Grover's last <laughs> album over, yeah. over Elmo. Yeah. Um, but speaking of, you know, music, because it's obviously, it's just a huge part of what you guys do on a daily basis. And, you know, that must present, you know, an unusual design challenge, to say the least. So what are kind of some of those... Uh, challenges in designing an industry that really has drastically changed in the last decade or so with iTunes and streaming music and all of these other options out there. Um, I have some, uh, we have lots of thoughts on that. Uh, I think, I think. Um, please, please share. Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, it's just really fun to work on music. It's something that is, uh, 
It's not about us doing our, it's not, we're not, we're not helping people do their job more efficiently or streamlining their workflow or anything. We're, we're helping people get incredible enjoyment. It's a kind of a quality of, of life product, I feel. Uh, it brings a lot of joy to people's lives. So it's, um, so it's unique in that way. Uh, we could be working on uh, a real estate app or something, and we're definitely not. Um, but uh, in terms of some of the unique challenges, I think there are. It's a crowded field right now, and you see, um, you see all the people tackling the uh, the problems of streaming, building a streaming music service. You see them kind of wrestling with, I think, a few um, a few spectrums that uh, the listeners embody, or they fall somewhere on a few spectrums, and that can the spectrums that we think about a lot are, um, you know, there's, there's a style of, of internet radio listening, you know, the Pandora style listener um, on one end of that spectrum. And then on the other end, other end of that spectrum, there's the more uh, lean forward uh, albums and playlists uh, engaged listener. Um, there is, um, there's just in general kind of a casual music listener who might listen in their car or a little bit in the background here or there while they're working. Um, that's been, that's been the hardest thing for me, I think, is going back to what we were talking about previously. We all love music. Like, mm -hmm. everyone who works at Ardeo is this massive music fan. And initially, there's that challenge of just like empathizing with these different types of users. So, yeah. trying to understand that love for music for someone who turns on the radio and is like, man, this Nicki Minaj is hot. That's, that's a kind of love that is different, but no lesser than the kind of love of someone who carefully curates a uh, history of proto-punk you know, playlist that goes <laughs> meticulously through like, the chronology of uh, this genre that wasn't a genre. You know, so those are different types of, of love, and they are expressed right. really differently. But one is not lesser than the other. And that's sometimes difficult, because we love music so much in a very particular way, and express mm -hmm. it in a very particular mm -hmm. way. Um, yeah. So that spectrum can present its own challenges of just like trying to embody the user and, and understand their how, problems. How, how do you, speaking of that spectrum, how do you determine what exactly is that spectrum and how do mm. you kind of match uh, what you're working on to meet the needs of each of those individual spectrums? That's a good question. It's features sometimes lend themselves to uh, to a, the spectrum. So for instance, sometimes a, uh, a feature around improving stations kind of you know, predicts the kind of user that you're uh, anticipating. A and some other features are, we, we just have to look at these kind of gen genericized personas of these different types of users and appreciate that it's not that black and white. <laughs> right, that most people live somewhere in that gray area in the middle mm -hmm. of the spectrum. They're not album listeners. They're not station listeners. Uh, they're a hybrid of both. And, and in right. some ways, although it's a fuzzier answer, it makes the problem easier to solve um, because it gives you, I think, a realistic appreciation of, of the um, set of expectations that people have when they are coming to a music service, right? Like, uh, is, this, is this station time? <laughs> Is this playlist time? Is this album time? Do I, is this music discovery time? Um, and those aren't, um, those are pretty well-defined sections of the app uh, to facilitate all of those different types of listening. Yeah, we, I mean, we, those spectrums I was talking about from like casual to 
more serious, or there's also like individual listeners and then mm -hmm. more social listeners who want to network, mm -hmm. who want to share and, and have music shared with them. Um, there's people who, who really like uh, want a human curator presenting a selection of music to them versus yeah. like a, a machine algorithm kind of mm -hmm. generating a smart um, genre-based playlist or something. So there's, there's those spectrums, but we don't, uh, we don't necessarily think that um, those are challenges. Those are, that's, that's the parameters of the mm -hmm. landscape and of the users. But we don't think that um, you're either this or that, or that even a single listener is, is fixed anywhere on. It's a continuum, right? right. Those things from, from individual listener to social listener, Depending on lean forward, lean day, back. Exactly. Mood, we, 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 think yeah, that, we think that we all, all of us, kind of have within our musical horizons uh, whether it's each day or each week or just sometime during our lives when uh, the way we re relate to music that we will embody different places on on that continuum right. so um, and that could be you know like I'm, I'm cooking dinner really fast and I just want I want to hit the button and have have the the machines do something magical and play me just what I want to hear I don't want to put a lot of thought into it or you know but that same person me later might be you know meticulously preparing some kind of uh, New Year's Eve party mix or something, and I want I want tight control over all the right, details. Just the right thing. Yeah. So so all that to say, we we um, we we're working on features that speak to all of those all of different users at different times. But we kind of believe that's the same user. Uh, it's it's not we're not um, kind of switching modes that discreetly. We, right. We're, we're it, trying it, to serve them all. It's 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 not as if each user is siloed in a particular no. way. They're just going to move across that at any particular given time. Yeah, yeah. And how does that how does that kind of uh, influence your design process? Mm. Like, take us through what is it in the audio design process that is influenced by music, and and how do you? What are the kind of like the tools and the relationships and the things that you think about in terms of that, and how does that help you push out uh, a feature or a redesign? Per se. It, it can be really <coughs> difficult to account for all of these different behaviors and all these different listening types. And it feels like the way that it impacts our process the most is having to answer a lot of questions within you know, a, a design. And a lot of times that's helped by prototypes. Mm -hmm. um, and so a prototype will help us move through a journey and see like, oh, well, what's this like for the album listener? What's this like for the station's listener? Or what's this like for someone in between? And understand what those extremes are for a specific <laughs> problem. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it's, it's tricky. There's, it's a lot of conversations and a lot of what ifs. I think listening, the way that we're describing it and all these different types of listening, you can see a lot of them as edge cases. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of that, like, oh, what if a user tries to do this or, or, or tries to do that, and just vetting those against not something static, but something moving. So trying to, trying to get like, a prototype of a thing quickly helps us uh, answer those questions yeah. quickly. I, trying to serve those, that wide range of listener types, um, it's a lot to ask. It's hard to be everything to everyone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and to still have a, a, an experience that feels focused and elegant and enjoyable for our users, we have to personalize. So we have to find ways to uh, personalize whatever features we're building to, to those users wherever they are on those mm -hmm. spectrums. So, um, so for example, like we recently redesigned um, the app to include the section that we call home. And it's, um, as the name would suggest, it's where you land. Um, 
and it is a it's a feed of of activity that is um, it's recommendations it's your own sort of your your own activity kind of reflected back to you um, it's activity in your network it's 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 meant to be uh, it's meant to be the best of audio it's meant to be kind of like a, a music magazine that <coughs> evolves with you that's that's personalized to you um, but that means not just responding to like uh, what our users have explicitly told us. So we, 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 we're list, there's a lot of signal, a lot of data going through our app, and we need to, to personalize. We need to, we need to listen to those signals. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like getting to know somebody in, in, in real life. Uh, I'm asking direct, direct questions mm -hmm. in conversation. I'm, uh, certain facts will come up just in the natural flow of conversation. But also, um, you know, I'm listening to nonverbal cues, and I'm kind mm -hmm. of like taking uh, context clues from, from right. things around us. Similarly, we're, we're picking up on um, explicit signals. So when we first onboard you into the app, we're going to ask you a question or two about like, what you want to listen to. And that's going to give us just a germ, just a seed to, mm -hmm. to build on. But, but then we're also going to be paying a lot of attention to implicit cues from you about uh, what you play repeatedly. If you're listening to a station, what you choose to skip, what you give a thumbs up versus thumbs down, mm -hmm. um, whether or not you uh, follow people. Um, or communicate with them, um, and also that your style of listening. So, are do you identify yourself by your behavior as a station's listener mm. or more of a playlist builder, etc.? So, um, and you know, event and some of those get into more implicit, and then you know, eventually we may we, we kind of have the aspiration to to get even smarter and almost be able to read your mind by predicting <laughs> predicting like what time it, uh, thinking about you know. Uh, Recording what time of day is it uh, when you listen to this type of music? Mm. What's the weather doing outside? Um, what's, what does your past behavior in this context suggest for, for what you might want right now? Mm. We're not doing a ton of that right now, but that's where we hope to get. So that, and that would be more of that um, sort of contextual signal that, that mm -hmm. we'd be listening to. But anyway, so there's, there's, there's all these signals, and, and some of it's more direct. Some of it's um, we have to read between the lines. But we try to compile all that signal and, and um, and use that signal to, in the case of like home, that I was talking about, to create this feed that is relevant for you, not just in terms of like playing the style, presenting suggestions of, let's say, the style of hip hop that you're interested mm. in, um, not just music style stuff, but also music listening style stuff. So more, mm. if you're a stations listener, we need to be showing people station suggestions mm. uh, more than albums, um, and. Uh, social. If you if you have expressed zero interest in a social experience on audio, we don't want to keep bombarding you because it will feel really uh, unpersonal, out of okay. touch with you. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the ways that we try to <laughs> approach. That right, range. and 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 when you say how you approach it, like, you know, that's a lot of that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a mountain or so of data sure. that you're kind of having to shift through. Mm. Like, how do you how do you go in there and and kind of triage and say this is what this is telling us this is what we need to look at because I mean you yeah. could have tons of it and this should be overwhelmed by it no it's a it was a hard problem to crack what we ended up doing in the case of home was building a tool that let us give any username and say okay well let's try to define a kind of pseudo algorithm that would define the layout of mm -hmm. what their home experience would be like and we tried to bucket people into some kind of behavioral clusters, put them through this tool, and the tool was not beautiful. The tool spit out just like lines of data that we then kind of had to deconstruct and reconstruct. Right. Um, but 
it was massively helpful in terms of taking this really complicated problem and giving us a, a simple input and some reasonable outputs that we could then massage and to get a, an idea of, wait, are we answering the, the questions that uh, we're, you know, the, the things that we're trying to solve here? Has this person who listens to stations most of the time and albums some of the time getting the right kind of information? Are oh, they only following two people? Uh, but they're very active people, okay, versus this person who follows 300 people. And it let us just see the variety of situations that we would find ourselves in. So we kind of, you know, just tested tons of users through this. Um, it was a crude prototyping tool, you know. It was, right. it was basically a glorified admin tool. <laughs> but it helped us um, massively, and it was just like trying to identify the answer we wanted and then finding a simple solution that helped us uh, test all of these varied scenarios. And it's not, you know, it wasn't quick. It took a long time and a lot of effort, but uh, it was, it, it, we got the answers that we needed. And, and, and oh, no, go ahead. Oh, just, and just thinking a little bit more about home and how the, the design execution of that, in order to serve so many different types of listeners, we had to come up with a system, like a, a templated system where these, mm. we, we, we call them stories, these kind of, you know, units in the feed. Um, a system of, of, uh, of part, a kit of parts that was really small mm -hmm. and, and versatile and repurposable so that we could, um, w the complexity wouldn't balloon out of control in trying to personalize um, too much visually to the different mm -hmm. user types. A, a, a system that could adapt to all those, to the social versus you know, individual listener stations versus albums listener. And, and, and kind of uh, just to, to follow up a little bit on how you guys tested this mm. I think it's so saying how do you guys actually test with users do you do like push out a live prototype because you know like for example like right Google Google is notorious for this right they'll mm. push out something and then my Google Docs page looks different every time right. I log into it so I don't know which version I'm gonna get but how do you guys actually test those uh, new things like for the home uh, we've done a combination of things with home where we had this big uh, very different experience. It felt like it needed a set of users interacting with the real thing. Mm -hmm. So we looked and found like friends and family users. You know, we found ultimately about a hundred users that we could invite to use mm -hmm. a thing in its crude form and apologized for it up front. We're like, hey, look, you know, this thing <laughs> is gonna break. It's gonna be uh, ugly at times, but we'd love your feedback on it. It's a new thing for us, you know. So we we kind of set the story for them, mm. and then uh, just we're not very prescriptive about the feedback that we wanted. We uh, they once people had accepted, we said, great, use this. We'll turn it on for you. Here's an open text field. Rant at us, mm -hmm. and we got a lot of really great feedback um, about the the feature that way. Um, for smaller scale features, we'll absolutely do the kinds of things right. that you're talking about where we'll turn a feature on for 10% of users, watch the numbers very carefully, <laughs> and see what happens. Um, but And then sometimes we'll take a, a feature and put it in front of a, a group of users to test. So it's, it's kind of a variety depending usually mm. on the size of the problem, the technical complexity. Mm. Can we actually um, get this thing in the app easily and get some feedback about it? And uh, in, in terms of getting feedback, mm. I'm finding this very fascinating, is uh, obviously people are very passionate about their music, to sure. say the least, right. and they can be a little aggressive maybe with mm. the feedback. How do you sift through that feedback and see what is important and what's not and what you're trying to accomplish there? Huh. 
it's, uh, it's always stressful making changes. Usually when we make big changes, we get this kind of very vocal feedback about things that we've taken away. Never take anything out of your product ever. It's, <laughs> like, it's, it's really, really, really hard to take features away, as I'm sure you know, people have heard time and time again. God, that's true, especially with a, a really passionate user base. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it's really difficult. We recently went through an exercise, what, about six, nine months ago or something like that, of redoing our navigation. And we knew it was going to be painful going into it. And we messed up in some places. And we had to just be honest. There were a lot of like very stre uh, stressed meetings that were like, OK, well, should we roll this thing back? Should we change this? Mm -hmm. And we did make concessions. And we uh, realized that we'd gone too far in places. And a lot of that was just like not being too stubborn about right. the ideas that we were trying to communicate, about being you know, realistic about what users uh, were willing to uh, enjoy and what they were, were not. Uh, so yeah, it's, I try to stay off. I don't look search for RDO on Twitter too the often. Day, especially, the day, <laughs> especially the day after a big launch. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I see that. I did, I did actually read a review about the redesign and having moved uh, the listening history out of the sidebar yeah. and the thing. Yeah. And there was just this whole flurry about <laughs> Where's my listening yeah. history? Yeah. Which yeah. you want to obliterate. No. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the thing is, it took, it took a long time, and uh, not a, a long time, it felt like a long time because of how passionate the response, response is. And that's one thing where uh, we, I think we, we kind of stuck to our, our, our guns a, a bit on that and, and have keep listening is like the first part of home. It's the first thing you see in the experience, right. and it replaces a lot of, a lot of that. But gosh, yeah. We're, we're, we're blessed with passionate users. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it's always it always feels great to like have people care enough to right. like, to say something. Sure. And and how does uh, how does that kind of like deluge of of, uh, of criticism? How do you guys kind of deal with that? Because that can also be a little uh, trying at times or a little stressful. Yeah. You know, because you have such a vocal vocal group, mm. but obviously they care enough about the product to be vocal. So if they didn't care, they wouldn't totally. be vocal. And, and how does that actually propel you in terms of, of how you approach the next iteration sure. and the decisions that you have to make? There's a really, we, we've introduced a really wonderful process that I love. We have this great support team and they tag these incoming issues in a way that we can sit in a, a meeting every other week and say, okay, what are users asking for? What are they complaining about? And it just has this direct impact on the features that we work on mm -hmm. and the way that we uh, evaluate changes and the way that we address, you know, any um, technical problems that that may be having happening. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a, a process that we put in place to hopefully get at some of that. Right. Do you guys ever uh, do you guys ever just select customers and users just to get on the phone with them and talk it out with them or get like get out in the front lines just to to see what they're actually saying? We haven't done so much of that. Usually, we try to have a strong hypothesis around any testing that we're doing. Sure. So there's less of like the freeform uh, interviews. Some of that has to do with the size of company that we are. We're about 200 people, and so we don't have a, a any we don't have a dedicated research department. We usually sure. outsource all that stuff. But so we try to be efficient about it. We try to come into a problem with a really clear like um, I think that. <laughs> 
this method of onboarding is going to do better than that method of onboarding, and then right. have have an answer that we can get out of that test. But we do have uh, we we have a kind of a group of super users mm. that, that have um, they kind of have the ear of, of a few people in the company just because they've been so loyal right. for so long and and they have kind of grown up with RDO. And we, we listen. I mean, we listen to all of our users, but we have some super involved, super vocal <laughs> users. And it's not, with it's, any product, it's, right? not a, it's not annoying, and it's not like the sort of flaming tweets that come sure. at you. It's more like, it's more measured criti critique. Um, and we pay a lot of attention to it. But we also have to take everything with a grain of salt because um, they represent a slice of our usership mm -hmm. and, a, and, a, and our bias towards a certain style of listening and a certain set of feature concerns. Mm -hmm. So um, we listen, but we also kind of modulate and, ed and edit and decide carefully what we're going to act on. Awesome. I, I kind of want to switch gears just a little bit away from that because I do really want to ask, ask this question because it is, you know, music and, and audio has a very clean and very vibrant design. and album art seems to really be a fixture of mm. that. It really seems to be centered around that. And I kind of wanted to know why is that and, and kind of how does that figure into uh, your guys' designs when it comes to things as discoverability and that personalization? Yeah, um, so my, my uh, predecessor, uh, Ryan Sims, who, who led the uh, product design team for, for years at RDO and did some amazing work had a saying that I really like, which is, um, RDO is RDO is the canvas and the music is the paint. And, uh, and that was a kind of a nice mantra, I think, that hit, was his rallying cry when he uh, stripped a lot of um, what now seems superfluous texture, color, um, dim, you know, dimensionality out of the app a couple years ago uh, and, and went with a, a really like white, clean, sparse, minimal, mm -hmm. um, uh, Chrome for the app, uh, and it, it shocked people at the time. It shocked me. I was an RDO user long before I worked there, and it was a, it was a jarring shift for me. Uh, time definitely proved him right, and um, and that that metaphor of like canvas and paint resonates for me. Just be, I mean, for a lot of reasons, as a designer, um, the stripping away, like do do as much as possible with as little as possible, right. um, as little design as possible, uh, is obviously a, a truth. Um, to aspire to, I think you. I think it also reflects something about um, our approach that I was talking about earlier. Uh, there's a certain democracy to that, to that minimalism. We're trying not to prescribe how you should mm. use the product, mm. or cater more to a certain style of listener than another. Um, the it, it, it's maybe it's a stretch. And it gets a little bit into like art critique territory. But uh, <laughs> if you color your app purple, um, or you color color your app predominantly charcoal gray with like pops of red or whatever, um, what are you saying subtly about to your users about how your app should be used? I think mm. that you are saying some things. Um, uh, you know, maybe you're saying something with white too. But I think uh, it's the least prescriptive visual route mm. to take. And that's, that's intentional. Um, it's not just an aesthetic decision. It's kind of a philosophical one. We, you're you're uh, communicating a, an overall story for RDO in that way then. Yeah, or, or a lack thereof. You know, <laughs> an, an openness to, for you to have your own story right. with RDO instead of, right. instead of like, this is your dark, moody media environment console thingy. You know, that feels <laughs> kind of dated to me. 
And I think for a long time, like our media apps have been black and dark and uh, mm -hmm. dim the lights and like let, let it wash over you kind of thing. <laughs> I think like that's, kind of, I don't know, it has its place maybe uh, like on your TV, uh, but um, it's a metaphor that feels a little tired, uh, like mm -hmm. make it black because it's music or video or, um, and so I appreciate some of those um, hard decisions that have been made to strip a lot of stuff away. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and, and uh, it almost goes without saying, the music is the star of the show, so maybe that should be the most prominent thing you're looking at. Mm. And I think that, that has informed a lot of the decisions around you know, big, beautiful blur, album blur in the player right. and um, using, uh, picking a color, a predominant color out of a piece of artwork and using that to kind of wash over uh, a mm. page or wash over that album artwork to create a backdrop over which you could read type or, or, or UI. Um, so, but, but always kind of respecting the artwork as our most precious uh, uh, ingredient on the palette. Right. Um, I think that it also kind of um, is consistent with, with a product vision, mm. respect for the music. Right. It's, it's almost as if uh, you're, you're letting the player actually get out of the way of the, the listener, mm -hmm. right, in that way. <laughs> And I have one last uh, question before I throw it out uh, to our wonderful audience out here. Is finally for each of you, uh, Mike and Jeff, how is audio changing the world of music? It's a difficult question. Uh, <laughs> That's why I asked it. <laughs> it's hard because it, it's specifically hard, I think, to answer. We are a niche product for a niche type of user. Mm. So we love to be an example of this shift to streaming music. Mm -hmm. um, and as much as it's happened for a lot of us in this room, it hasn't happened for a lot of people. Um, so for me, that's kind of a non-answer, but like that's, the sh that's still a shift, right? That's mm. still a change that we want to uh, encourage and inhibit. We've, we've, we love it so much and see so much value in letting go of MP3s and, and, and uh, tagging all my uh, ID3 you know, tags and, and all the rest and keeping everything you know, beautifully manicured. Like letting, letting that go and having this library of millions and millions and millions of songs to discover um, as a, the next evolution of listening. Hmm. Um, and maybe that's evident to, to, to some of us, but it's not, it's not a um, really popular concept in general yet. Mm. So we're still you know, making that shift. Yeah, I think we forget, uh, probably most of the people in this room use, you know, use a music streaming service or are familiar with the concept, but that's not a global understanding <laughs> or, or use pattern. We are a tiny sliver of the pie. Um, not audio, but music streaming is a right. tiny sliver of the music consumption uh, pie. So, uh, so just by doing by being in the market, we're, we're changing, um, changing people's relationship with music. Um, and then, I don't know, as for what RDO uniquely does, I, I, I feel like maybe I'm repeating myself a little bit, but I think it is unique that we believe we can, we believe we can, we can be the best uh, album on demand, album playlist on demand listener mm -hmm. service and the best internet radio service. We can be, we can replace Pandora and we can replace, you know, your ripped CDs and, you know, whatever, or whatever other streaming music service you use, that we can create one 
home for for all listening types. I think mm -hmm. is 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 not not everybody is trying to do that. Uh, you know, a lot of people are trying to tackle one one part of that hmm. puzzle. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much, uh, yeah. Mike and Jeff, for answering my questions. Now I want to throw it out to you guys and have your questions answered. Yes. Um, Chaos Murthy. Um, I think here you mentioning about, um, see, all of us are US-centric. Mm. No matter whether, whatever we think we are, mm. we are US-centric and we are only limiting ourselves to a given democracy. Uh, how much of the internationalization mm. have you thought about? And it's not easy. You know, no. We all know <laughs> Very, very difficult because different countries are different. You are talking colors and palettes. You know, what a color means to one is mm. different from the other. Yep. Light colors, dark colors, you know. Please comment. Yeah, absolutely. So internationalization is hard slash impossible. Um, and the way that we've approached it is by having small local teams. Um, so we work really closely with our teams in Brazil or our teams in India to assess uh, even things down to like, oh, sh what should this station artwork actually be? Because it has such a massive impact on people's uh, behavior and, and consumption. So uh, yeah, we tried to lean on our employees in a region. And that being said, like that makes it sound like we're doing a great job at it. And I don't think we are, because we can't do that in every territory. We have to pick and choose. And that depends on who you choose. Exactly. Exactly. You are bound by their preferences rather Absolutely. than national preferences. Mm, totally. So we so do so and much of a country like China, mm. you will have a serious problem because they want it to be made in China. Right. Yeah. Sure. So you, how do you handle that? Yeah. No, it's difficult. The closest we've gotten is leaning on local experts and it only gets us part of the way there. Um, and yeah, we'll, I mean it's 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 an evolving process for us as we expand into yeah. more and more territories. That's the reason Jackmore has become rich. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that said, interna internationalization is a huge priority for us right now. I think we're in 85 countries at last check. So it's huge, but yeah, we've got to scale to serve them properly. We've, uh, we've got our work cut out. Okay. Alina in the back. Uh, the question is how we work together and how we work with our, our teams. Uh, we work really closely together. Uh, Jeff and I have been at the company uh, over two years each. Um, and there's a lot of built-in collaboration. There's a lot of ad hoc collaboration. So we work really fluidly as a, a team. And part of that is having the right tools to allow us to visibility into what everyone's doing. So we've been using Slack, like I'm sure a lot of people are using Slack. And we've built some hooks into the app that post whenever design changes are made that facilitate conversation around um, any changes. Jeff, Jeff can chime in and I can chime in and we see each other's comments or we can have a, a conversation and then uh, replicate the, that feedback in, in these tools. Um, and other than that, it's, it's, uh, we have a great relationship with our engineering teams as well and we're fairly hands-on. Hands so it's, we're doing less of just handing something over and being like, all right, see you in a few weeks when it's built, and a lot more uh, real-time feedback. And some of that's fed by prototypes, and some of it is just like looking at the alpha and beta builds of things as they come out and, and feeding back in real time. 
we've we've had increasing success with smaller teams too, where uh, mm. engineering and, and design and product management is all represented on within one team that may range from five people to uh, fifteen or so. Uh, but it feels a lot like everybody is uh, has better visibility on the work. Uh, there's more just buy-in. There's there's more um, collaborative spirit and and um, better communication. In that sense, there's not a, a entrenched feeling of of um, of just teams kind of that can almost create friction and and slow the work down. There's mm -hmm. a feeling of we are this team working on this feature. Uh, we all have different skill sets and we'll bring them to bear at different times. But the communication is much more fluid and the the process is less. It's obviously less waterfall, and um, and things can things can move flu more fluidly back and forth between engineering. Sometimes they need to pull back and go back through a, a cycle of design um, before they get handed back again to, to engineering. Yes. Uh, following up on the uh, comment about streaming prevalence of streaming versus having <coughs> segmented feed, mm. uh, but it seems to me that like streaming is just a radio station, and radio stations have been around forever. So it seems like that is still a prevalent and it's like so you really I mean how do you how do you see that play when you look I mean it's a market you should be able that's basically waiting out there you can say it's over it's stopped from a radio station perspective but yeah I mean you're trying to I would just comment on it like mm -hmm. how do you see that fitting because it's mm -hmm. actually kind of a an old market yeah no abso really absolutely um, it a lot of it is is uh, around habits but there's some uniqueness in that you can do in a streaming service that certainly you can't on on, on radio. Ready. I mean, you get to pick your playlist, which is the cool part. That and yeah. and being able to listen to specific uh, albums, and we're trying to bridge that gap a little bit and uh, see, you know, where it, how do you move someone from being a radio listener and introduce elements of on-demand listening into their into their life, um, but. Yeah, no, it's 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 a it's a challenge. You know, it's it's one of those things. It's just we want to be that replace that radio experience. Um. Yeah, the the uh, concept of terrestrial radio is super old, and there's always been a relationship uh, between between hearing music on the radio uh, being pumped to you and using that as a discovery channel, and then going to the record store or wherever and buying that mm -hmm. record. So there's always been, not always, but for decades and decades, there's been um, this, this co peaceful coexistence between on-demand music listening and terrestrial radio. And that um, is something we recognize. And that is one of the reasons why we are not trying to just be a radio service um, or just be an on-demand service. There's a relationship there that has existed for a long time. And we can, and we can serve. Uh, all you know online. Is that is that kind of what you're talking? Yeah, just sort of wondering how you're tapping. Kind of yeah, sort of answered how you're tapping into that because it's in one sense you could say the way's been paved for you, mm. but maybe yeah. because it's so common you're going to be overlooked because yeah. they've already have it. I, you know, you really have to target something so prevalent. The real unique way, mm -hmm. I guess, is perhaps maybe is I'm hearing a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. That that's yeah. what you have to do, even though the it seems like it could be so similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. it's, a, it's difficult, and there's not, I mean, we struggle with a, a, a clear answer, because the, the, I think the clear answer is a really crude one for us, which is partnerships with a lot of these radio uh, providers. Um, 
So we work with Cumulus a lot, um, and they own close to 600 stations in the U.S. So there's a lot of these, you know, pretty clear handoffs from these radio um, stations into our streaming service. And also trying to get audio into the places where people traditionally listen to the radio, too, is another thing that we work on a lot, yep. meaning cars, uh, living rooms, uh, places other than just your phone. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, we, we're uh, busy on a lot of car and home partnerships as well. Cool. We had a question here, and then we'll have a question over there. So. I was just curious how your team works to, uh, when you design cross devices, is it like kind of one person taking it across all the devices, or is it kind of split up or not based on that? Uh, we, yeah. the, the designers uh, we have now are able to work across platform, and we, we kind of encourage that. I think it hasn't always been that way, and people always bring a certain expertise to the table. We're not always equally good at everything, at designing for every platform, but um, that's be definitely been the, the reality lately is, and the, um, the desire is that people uh, design cross-platform. On the UX side, it's a little bit, it can be a little bit easier, but also uh, not quite as diligent, because it's easy to, to say, look, well, here's a wireframe, or here's a prototype that works across platform. Um, but then we're ignoring a little bit of the peculiarities and the flavor of individual platforms uh, that you wouldn't be able to in a full design. Um, cool. And then we had a question over here. So how do you balance design for what users want versus design for business needs and the actual need to monetize them and have profits? Yeah. Designing around uh, ads was a new uh, a new challenge for me, and there's that side of things of just having a free experience that is subsidized with ads, and not trying to make that like that doesn't have to be a horrible uh, experience, um, and we try to try to make that fairly seamless. Um, it's it's hard, you know. These a, a lot of these problems uh, you try to make as 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 good as possible of an experience, and still have these concessions. I, I think we're fortunate that. People accept the burden of uh, ads for the benefit of having a, a free product, um, and and there's a obvious like upgrade and subscription path. Um, yeah, it's really difficult. We've 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 trying to introduce partnerships that uh, aren't as straightforward as just like here's an audio ad. You know, what if it's like Home Depot creating a playlist, and that might sound Maybe that sounds a little bit awkward on the surface, but uh, the content was really is, is really good. I mean, this is an actual example of a, of a station that we did, and it got a lot of plays and, and uh, a lot of engagement. Um, so there's, there's just trying to turn these uh, advertising experiences into something that's meaningful within our product, um, which is a little bit more uh, beneficial to the user than just hearing a few minutes of, of music and then hearing an ad and then hearing a few more minutes of music. But yeah, there's a tension. I mean, there's no, there's, no easy, there's no easy answer to that question. It's about, uh, you know, we're committed to making an experience that is free and still awesome. Um, and some of that involves ads and sponsorship, and we're trying to do it right. Uh, but it, we're wrestling with it constantly, and we have people who work at RDO now who, for whom that's their, their sole job, and we didn't always have that. So um, yeah, it's constantly on our mind, and it's a really tough, tough challenge.
Very good. One last question. And, yeah. So when you guys are designing um, features for your product, do you find that designing for like the, the extreme users benefits the casual user? Or is it that you're designing for the extreme user and then you have to temper it to kind of something that everybody can like? <coughs> when you say extreme, do you mean uh, the music enthusiast? Or do you mean like an edge case? Yeah. The radio listener, yeah, yeah. Um, or somebody that manicures perfectly the perfect playlist. Mm. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's hard because I think oftentimes we are the extreme listeners. So the first reaction a lot of times on a, answering a problem is to answer it for yourself, and that answer is often not satisfactory for these these vast number of users in the middle of the spectrum. Um, and I think one of the ways that uh, we get out of that is uh, just vetting it against various like journeys and usage patterns. We, we're really lucky, I think, to have identified like people even within our team that have really different style of mm -hmm. listening. So uh, one of our uh, product managers she loves listening to songs, like pretty exclusively. Like she's basically a radio listener uh, in, in, her, in her behavior. And uh, I love bouncing ideas off of her because she just has such a different view into the product than, than I do. And so extrapolate that out you know, many times in talking to too many uh, people. We are benefited by the fact that everyone loves music and interacts with music in our product differently, you get such a variety of answers depending on who you talk to. By the time you're done telling the story in a simple enough way that people understand it, um, you've hopefully addressed not only those extremes, but the people in the middle uh, as well. But one person might like to discover music by hearing a few seconds of it, mm -hmm. and another person might like to say, oh, where's this band from? Oh, what label are they on? What, what are the affiliated bands? Oh, they sh it's the side project of right. that guy? Like super n music nerdy stuff. Um, those are really different ways of discovering music. And designing for one extreme, let's say the latter is the extreme and the, the first is the casual listener. Um, designing for the extreme isn't going to solve for the um, casual listener in that case. So it's not a matter of like, like, like solve, solve for the extreme and you've all automatically solved for the casual mm -hmm. listener, they're pretty different. Um, they can, they can some depending on I guess what we're, what feature we're talking about. They can be really different needs sets. Very good. Well, thank you, uh, Mike and Jeff, for uh, joining us here for uh, Zerb Soapbox. Thank you for everyone for coming out. Give them a round of applause. Thank you.